0: Welcome in. Pull up a chair. We're glad you're able to spend a little time with us this morning. This is the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson, along with Zach Barletta. The website is btgprogram.com, and on social media, it's at btgprogram. What a drag for Andrew Bogut, huh, Zach? After being courted by a number of teams after his release from Dallas, Bogut ends up signing with the Cleveland Cavaliers, taking a little less money, probably going to get a little less playing time. Cavs being a team he played against last season in the NBA Finals as a member of the Golden State Warriors. Got a huge ovation when he took the floor for the first time, just 36 seconds left in the first quarter. But unfortunately, things didn't go according to plan, and Bogut's season with the Cavaliers lasted less than 60 seconds. Broke his left leg. LeBron James said he knew immediately that Bogut's injury was serious, saying that, I heard it break. I heard it crack. I mean...
1: Oh, that's gross. Yeah,
0: this poor guy can't catch a break of late. Bogut had also injured his knee in Game 5 of the Finals last year, then hurt his other knee back in December while playing with Dallas. His injury and the sickening sound was said to have sent just a kind of that awkward chill through the crowd. I know you've seen video of ugly injuries, but have you ever been there live and actually heard that sound firsthand. I
1: haven't. I'm so thankful that I haven't because that just seems like something you would hear in your nightmares.
0: It's it's awful. I remember when I was younger, I was probably 18, 19. I grew, you know, I grew up in the Catskills. We're playing in a softball league in the tri-state area. We had teams from New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, and we were out in Pennsylvania for a game. But this guy on the other team, I'm playing second base, guy hits a ball to right field. He rounds first. And I'm I'm waiting for the throw coming in from right field. I could hear as my back is turned to him as he's rounding first this, this horrific snap. Oh. And then his scream of pain as he's laying there. I remember this is Church League softball. Yeah. And I'm not sure what to do as the ball comes in because my man is off the bag. So You have to tag him. <laughs> Did you have and to? I, and years later, I still feel bad you about feel it like because I was the worst kinda,
1: person in the world. But you got to make me out. I
0: kind of slid up to the man and, and just kind of put the glove on him. And the umpire was right there. <laughs> he called him out,
1: like, "Hey, man, sorry you shattered your femur. I got to tag you." Yeah. What do you do? Yeah.
0: And it was just, it. but it was a horrific sound. And oh man, I'll I'll never forget it. I can I can still hear that sound.
1: But you know what, Andrew Bogut's going to get a. Championship ring for that sixty seconds, so it'll turn out all right in the end.
0: Yeah, and you know he was going back and forth with him. I go, he had a choice of teams that he could sign with, and ended up picking Cleveland. Like I said, probably less playing time, certainly less money. Coming up later today on the program, we got a lot of stuff to get to. Amari Stoudemire has gone from the NBA, he's gone from sports sections of the nation's newspaper, but. He's obviously not forgotten. Whether he was serious or joking, he made some fairly unfortunate comments recently, and we'll talk more about that on today's program. We're only a week or two away from our season predictions for this year's Major League Baseball season, but before we do that, we're going to take a look at the over-under on the number of wins for a few teams and see if our in-house statistician, Zach Barletta, see if he agrees with the experts. Zach also has a new list of shenanigans statements, We'll tell you what it was that we liked this week. That's all coming up a bit later on. This is the Beyond the Game program. Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem, covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that could pick up this radio station is somewhere Town and Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town and Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice call Town and Country. Even raccoons or larger animals call Town and Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town and Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. And let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. It's here,
1: Ram Sports Network, Christian Sports Television. That's right, Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian sports TV channel with programming from PeeWee to the pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at Ramsportsnetwork.com. Or find us on the Roku Channel
0: Store, Ram Sports Network, more than a game. Benson and Barletta here with you on Beyond the Game, mixing sports with faith. The program's available on podcast. It's probably as surprising to you as it is to us, but the podcast is downloaded and heard in towns all across our great nation and even around the globe. A last count, I think it was over 40-some countries, wasn't it, Zach, that we've been heard in?
1: Yeah, and I think we've hit every continent but Antarctica, right?
0: Technology is incredible, though. To think that our little show is over 40 countries, I don't know why, but listen, you can listen to our previous broadcast, you can subscribe at our website, btgprogram.com, and I'll tell you, we're amazed at how far the show has traveled, taking the message of Jesus Christ in it, and with your help, it can go even farther. Beyond the Game is a faith-based radio ministry, and like many radio ministries, our operating budget is mainly sustained by the support of our listeners. Your financial gifts support the program's efforts to reach new markets, to bring the message of the gospel to thousands of listeners each week. Consider partnering with us. You can make a secure donation through our website, which once again is btgprogram.com. There was an interesting article recently in Sports Illustrated. They went through all 30 MLB teams, and based on the over-under set in Vegas for the amount of wins for each team, which is all, it's always something and a half, 81 and a half, 82 and a half, mm-hmm. they, they pick which side of that half the teams would fall on because obviously you can't win half a game. For example, the Atlanta Braves, according to uh, the Vegas experts, have an over-under of 71.5. SI is predicting that they will be on the plus side of that and finish with at least 72 wins. And while we can't go through all the teams as I did, as as SI did, uh, due to our time constraints, I thought it'd be fun to go through a number of the teams, some of the local connections to us here in Western New York and see what our in-house analysis, our numbers cruncher, Zach Barletta has to say. (laughs) So as I mentioned with the Braves, last year they finished with 68 wins. Vegas has their over-under at 71.5. Do you agree with SI that the Braves will finish with at least 72 wins this season?
1: Uh, I think I would take the over. I actually am kind of high on the Braves this year. Yeah,
0: I, You've said that in a pr- couple of weeks ago on our broadcast, mm-hmm. and, and you even, if I remember right, kind of saw them sliding in as a possible fourth wildcard team?
1: I don't know about or, that. Or, uh, fourth
0: I, wildcard team, second wildcard team.
1: And if there were four wildcard teams, maybe, uh, I like that they've, they've done something that's sort of unique among young rebuilding teams and that they've actually spent money to bring in some veterans for the younger players to learn from. And, uh, they're not going to be great. They're probably not even going to be 500, but I think they'll be close to it.
0: And I guess that's that's my memories. Here I am telling people that you're picking them as a the second wild card. By the end of the season, I'll be telling people that you picked them to win the World Series. So
1: If somehow that happens, please go <laughs> ahead and tell people that.
0: The Yankees have 83 and a half. SI is saying they will finish above their over-under, which would mean they're going to win at least 84 games, which is pretty close to 500. Mm-hmm. What do you think?
1: I'm I'm taking the over on the Yankees as well. Um, as someone who watches a lot of the Yankees, I'm more familiar with them than any of these other teams, and I really like the young pieces. And we've seen several other teams sort of hit that mark a year early. The Astros did it. The Cubs did it. And I look at a, a lot of these young pieces that the Yankees have, like Greg Bird, who was just recently leading the spring in home runs, and I really I I feel good about it, and I think that the uh, – it's dependent on the pitching staying healthy, but I mean every team can say that. So I'm I'm higher on the Yankees, and I think that they will be. I, well I, I over think
0: that. everything could every team could say that. I, I think with the Yankees, it's even more of a concern their pitching mm-hmm. staff. Um, but so far in the spring, and what are we two weeks into it? They, they right. look good, but again, it's spring training. I'm I'm not convinced that they'll be over. But you're the expert, so we'll, we'll keep this with you. So you got the Yankees finishing over, you got the Braves finishing over, the Mets. Last year, won eighty-seven ball games. The uh, the, the Vegas hasn't picked at ninety point five for an over under. What do you say?
1: Uh, I think I'm going to go slightly under. I um, they're another team that's dependent on their pitching, but their team actually has very recently had a lot of pitching injuries. Um, I don't know about the lineup. There's some good bats. There's some some not-so-great spots in that lineup. So they'll be good. They'll probably be in the playoff hunt right up until the end, but I don't see them winning 90.
0: Okay, so actually on the two New York teams, SI disagrees with you. They're saying the Mets are going to finish over the 90.5 over-under, and they're saying the Yankees underneath that, they're 83.5. What about the Toronto Blue Jays? Not all that far from us here in Rochester. Uh, 85.5 is their over-under. They won 89 ball games last year. What do you think?
1: I'm going to take the over on the Blue Jays. Uh, a lot of Again, people separating
0: lot, from SI.
1: A lot of people are down on the Blue Jays because of Edwin Encarnacion leaving,
0: and I'm one of them.
1: But people, I think, forget that they did sign Kendris Morales, who, when he's healthy for a full season, has 30 home run, 90 RBI type of power. We've seen veteran hitters like that that go to the Blue Jays, get new life in their careers, and they've got they got
0: Justin Smoke too. That if he can be one of those guys that puts yeah. it together.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, he's nothing special, but he's you know at least a league average player. Uh, they've got a decent young pitching staff led by Aaron Sanchez, and uh, I don't, I don't know, I think people are prematurely writing off the Blue Jays.
0: The Red Sox are ninety one and a half. Last year they won ninety three games. What do you think about? Will they finish above or or will they finish below that ninety one and a half?
1: I think that's in the right range. It's going to be pretty close to that, whatever it is. I would have definitely taken the over before David Price started feeling soreness in his elbow. I know James Andrews said it's not a Tommy John thing. He just needs rest, but now he's going to be behind schedule to start the season. We've seen a lot of times elbow pain leads eventually to worse things. So the depth in that pitching rotation between behind those two top guys, Price and Sale, is not great. So I Just because of the uncertainty with David Price, I'm going to go with the under, but only by a little bit.
0: The Minnesota Twins, are. we have their farm team here, the Rochester Red Wings. The over-under set for them is 70.5. They only won 59 games last year, so 70.5 as an over-under is a great improvement. What do you think?
1: You probably guessed this already because we talked about them not that long ago on the show, but I'm definitely taking the under. I look at this team... I don't see any improvements made anywhere to equal that large improvement in the wins total. I just don't see it anywhere. We've talked about how I don't trust the Twins to not ruin their good young players. So I, until I see them do it, maybe for a couple years in a row, I'm not going to trust the Twins.
0: Yeah, and I think SI SI definitely has them going over the 70.5, but they're, they're high on the young prospects of the mm-hmm. Twins, and I know you're not. But I'm—I just the thing that sticks out to me with the twins is 59 wins a year ago, a 70.5 over under. That's a big jump in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and that's—that's that's what I'm getting at. Is where's the big addition that they've made that was going to bring them 11 extra wins? I just don't see it.
0: The Baltimore Orioles, the Rochester Red Wings, former parent club, mm-hmm. 84 and a half. They won 89 ball games last year.
1: That's a tough one. I um, They're going to score a ton of runs like they always do. That lineup is is super scary. They kept Trumbo in it, and they've added Seth Smith. Um, but that pitching staff, man, uh, a lot of question marks there too. It could be very good if they're young guys like Gossman and Bundy. Stay healthy. Give them a full season. They're very good young pitchers. Um, but I think that division is going to be tough, so I think I'm going to take the under.
0: I would agree. I know you're big on the Houston Astros. They won 84 last year. That seems pretty low for them.
1: I'll save you some time. Whatever it says, I'm taking the over. <laughs> I am huge on 87 the and a half.
0: I, and 84, they ran into some, I, I guess, issues last year because I think they're a much better team than an 84 win team. So Absolutely. even an 87 and a half, I would agree with you. I, I'm gonna, I would go over in that situation. They're going to be in
1: the 90s. I mean, they get to play the Angels how many times a year? They're they're going to be in the nineties. Some odd wins, yeah.
0: What did they say? Let me find them here in this magazine. Houston, Houston, start still starts with an H, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a team we talked about. What they say?
0: They say over the eighty-seven. We talked
1: about what did the Twins add to equal a jump in wins? Well, the Astros. I mean, Carlos Beltran, Brian McCann. um, They're just there's tangible. You can see lineup improvements that they've made. I I think that's a, a 87 wins seems awfully, awfully low.
0: Yeah, I agree. But you know, so often these guys in Vegas have it right. Mm-hmm. Amazingly, that's why they're there. That's why there's so much money, I guess, out there. What do I know? But it seems low to me, and I, I agree with you. I think the Twins are high. The Texas Rangers are 85 and a half. They won 95 ball games last year. That's 10 less. Well, it's nine and a half less. So, what do you say, over or under?
1: I'm going to take the over. Uh, Again, just like I didn't see any any changes that would make a jump in wins for the Twins, I don't see any changes that would make a drastic dip in wins for the Rangers. I think they're a good team. A lot of young players that got part-time jobs last year that are ready to step into full-time jobs this year. I am, I'm big on the Rangers. I think whoever wins the AL West, it's going to go through the state of Texas.
0: Let's just do a couple more. Um, the Cleveland Indians. Winners of 94 ballgames last year. Their over-under is pretty much right there, 93.5. So um, do you think they'll finish above or below?
1: I'm going to say above because this, this might be going on on a limb, but I think the Indians could win 100 games because you look at that lineup. It didn't have a lot of power last year. They plugged in Edwin Encarnacion. You look at that pitching staff and there's not a weak spot. You look at the bullpen with Andrew Miller in there to put out rallies. Like it, it, There's just no weakness on this team. Even defensively, they're good. And this is a team that didn't have Michael Brantley at all last year because of injury. So if you if you get him back, he's almost like an offseason addition because they didn't have him. There is not a weakness on this team. Yeah, and they
0: lost some of their pitching staff. I, I remember. I can't think mm-hmm. of the, who it was, but I know. I
1: think Carrasco and Salazar both had injuries down the stretch, two of their good young pitchers. So yeah. I, I – I'm um the i huge on the Indians. I think the Indians could win 100 games.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I'd go over there to the Cincinnati Reds, winners of 68 last year, over under a set at 73-and-a-half. What say ye?
1: I think I'm going to take the under. And I like the Reds. I don't want to do it, but I look at that pitching staff, and there's just nobody in it that's a sure thing. And I just think... They, they're they going to score a decent amount of runs, but I think they're going to give up a lot more.
0: Yeah, the problem, Joey Votto can't pitch. I mean, he can't do everything, right? Right. Yeah. The Dodgers, 92.5, winners of 91 last year. So they're over-unders pretty much right at where they were.
1: I think I'm, can I just say chalk? Can I just say the 92.5 is right I, where I think they're going to go? I, I think that sounds just about right.
0: Uh, SI has them over. So 93 actually puts them over. So Okay. We'll the, go
1: with 93.
0: Yeah, okay. The Nationals, winners of 95 last year, are only set at 90.5 this year. If it's me, I'm going over there because I'm still big on the Nationals. I, I think this is a good baseball team, and I'm a little surprised that the over-under is only 90.5, although I would say that playing in that division, they have to play the Mets. They they have All those teams are improved, every mm. one of them, the Braves, the Phillies. Even tomorrow, I think those are better teams than
1: they were a year ago. Well, I mean, look, the Mets are headed downhill because they lost Bartolo Colon. So there's a whole <laughs> bunch of home runs that they. Well, then by lost. your logic,
0: the Braves are moving up.
1: Absolutely, because they've got Big Sexy now. But uh, I think that um, people are sleeping on the Nationals because I think people have started to believe that the Bryce Harper we saw last year is the Bryce Harper that we're going to see. And I think we talked about it on the show. I did a little dive into his launch angles, and you can see a spot in the season where he went from great to sort of eh, meh, you know, like where he was clearly injured in his launch angle change. And as long as he is healthy, I think we're going to see Bryce Harper get back to putting up just video game type numbers. And I think just that increased offensive production gets them right back to where they were last year.
0: All right, we're up against the clock and you're getting into the minutia and the nerd stuff with swing <laughs> angles and all this. But let's do one more. The defending champion Chicago Cubs, 103 wins last year. The over/under is only 96.5. Will they finish with 97 and go above or will they finish with 96 and be below?
1: Man, I don't see a reason why they can't win 103 again, you know? I mean, it seems ridiculous to say that, but again, like the Indians find me a weakness on this team because I, I really don't see one. So um, I, I will definitely be taking the over on the Cubs.
0: As I went below, they're banking on the fact that so few teams actually win 97 games. Mm-hmm. So that's what they're banking on. But they've actually got them finished over. Coming up on the other side of the break, we're going to hash out some of the recent comments by former NBA star Amari Stoudemire, who basically said he would avoid a homosexual teammate. We'll get into that right after this. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. Let's take a look at the Red Hawks report for this week, March 11, 2017. The Red Hawks report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. The men's lacrosse team rode two goals from A.J. Hems to a 7-4 victory over Dominican College last Saturday at home, while that same day the women made it a perfect day for the Red Hawks, notching their first win of the season, 17-11, over Malloy College. The ladies were led by senior Cassidy Joukowsky's five goals and three from junior Joanna Price. It was a contest of two regionally ranked teams, but it was number 7 post-university, besting the number 10 Redhawks 7-2 last Sunday in men's tennis. The men quickly bounced back, though, and got back on the winning track by beating Houghton College on Wednesday 8-1. The women's tennis team made it a complete sweep for Roberts on Wednesday as they too took down Houghton, 9-zip. And unfortunately, we don't have the results having had recorded this program prior, but the women's basketball team set out to defend their NCAA national championship as the region's top-ranked team. They're hosting the tournament's first round of games at Roberts Wesleyan. The Red Hawks were slated to take on Indiana Wesleyan University on Friday, And then the games continue today, March 11th. So visit the website, athletics.roberts.edu, to check the schedule and go on out. See some great women's basketball and be sure to cheer on the defending national champions from Roberts Wesleyan College. The women's lacrosse team offers you the only chance to catch the Red Hawks athletics at home this week. Tomorrow, Sunday, March 12th, they'll be hosting Merrimack College at noon. And then on Thursday, they'll take on Nyack College on the campus of Roberts Wesleyan College. That'll conclude the Red Hawks report for this week, March 11, 2017. The Red Hawks report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. And remember, you can follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC RedHawks or visit their website, athletics.roberts.edu. This has been the Red Hawks report presented by Roberts Wesleyan College.
1: Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Highlighting the stories and the people of faith. It's not a faith program that includes sports. It's a sports talk show rooted in faith-based principles. Welcome back to the show. Recording in the BTG studios in Rochester, New York. Here is your host, Rick Benson.
0: You found the Beyond the Game program. Rick Benson and Zach Barletta recording from Rochester, New York. BTG program or at BTG program. If you follow the news, you're probably relieved to know Rochester's still here. It did not get blown away. Not all of it anyways. Man, that that win was something. We lost our power for over 24 hours, which mm-hmm. I know I'm whining about. Other people live without it for days and weeks and other countries maybe even longer. But,
1: but there's something like 10,000 people without it in the local area, right? It gets, it's a big deal
0: was to me. Amari Stoudemire doesn't play in the NBA any longer, though he is still a professional basketball player. The six-time NBA All-Star currently playing in Israel, a team called HaPel Jerusalem. And I don't know if I pronounced that right. I'm pretty sure I pronounced the Jerusalem part right. but I think so. I think uh, you Hap- nailed it. HaPel, I, I don't know. Happens to be a team which, by the way, he co-owns, and he helped lead to the Israeli Basketball League title last year. Stademeyer has been exploring his Jewish heritage for some time. He is a Hebrew through his mother. Recently, he was, in fact, honored by the Consulate General of Israel in New York, receiving its annual Martin Luther King Jr. Award, which it's given to individuals and organizations promoting ethnic and cultural understanding. He was specifically acknowledged for the work that his foundation does with kids that are at risk, at-risk youth. The award was given prior to him making some comments he later apologized for that he would be uncomfortable with a gay teammate. Now, obviously, the timing was awkward, having just received an award for promoting ethnic and cultural understanding. Uh, It's not the first time, though, that he's gotten in a little bit of hot water over comments regarding the homosexual community. Back during his time with the New York Knicks, you might remember Stoudemire was fined $50,000 by the NBA for a homophobic slur that he used on Twitter, which again, timing being what it was, when he used that slur on Twitter, it happened to be during the league's gay pride weekend, (laughs) and he later apologized for those comments as well. Stoudemire was asked if he would have a problem with having a gay teammate. Now, I'm not sure the context of the question. I'm not sure the background, why that was asked of him. But with a bit of a sheepish grin, indicating that perhaps he was joking, Stademeyer said, I'm going to shower across the street, make sure my change of clothes are around the corner, and I'm going to drive and take a different route to the gym. Now, he was even asked if perhaps he was joking, but he said that there's always a truth within a joke. However, he did then try to take the I-was-only-kidding route after his comments made headlines seemingly everywhere. These headlines were everywhere and were widely condemned.
1: Yeah, it seems like one of those things that you say, and as it's coming out of your mouth, you're like, I shouldn't be saying this. So he's kind of, well, you know, we'll laugh it off. And But like you said, there's usually some truth within a joke. So
0: he was. These con- comments were condemned widely, mm-hmm. including two gay former NBA players, one of which, Jason Collins, said through Twitter that Stoudemire's quote, homophobic comments have no place in sport or in our society. As part of his apology, Stodemeyer said his remarks were taken from a larger interview where a reporter was asking me hypothetical questions, and all my answers had a comedic overtone, undertone. Excuse me. The team, which he co-owns, again, by the way, issued a brief statement saying simply, although it was clear from the start that he did not intend to harm, we regret the remarks. Happel has been and will continue to be a true home for all. Now, you and I, Zach, we just talked recently, last week, after Kim Mulkey, uh, Baylor's women's basketball coach, she said some foolish things. Uh, New York Yankees team president Randy Levine said some goofy things. Mm -hmm. Our tongues can get us into a great deal of trouble. It's a part of our body which is extremely difficult to get under control. And I said then that I do tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. Now it's hard to take Amari Stottlemire's words and completely say, "Oh, he was only having some fun; he was only kidding." Because it's it's not the first time, and these were these were hurtful. But I am going to give him the benefit. This is a guy that's done numerous good and generous things. Uh, he's he's a community minded guy. His foolish comments, were which I think were made in jest but maybe there was some uh, what would you say some reality to it there was some mm-hmm. some he was serious in some regards but he played it off as foolish I, I don't think that should minimize the good things that he's done again I like I said I, I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt but said in jest or not these were foolish things to say these were hurtful things to mm-hmm. say I mean if he truly feels that he would avoid a gay teammate, And follow me through on this. I sort of applaud his honesty in some ways. I suspect that there's a great many number of people who feel that way, but they're more aware of what is politically correct and and not politically correct to say. Mm -hmm. And I actually think by stating how he feels that perhaps that can open a door for a dialogue, which could help such a person like him learn and maybe change their opinion. It's an awful thing. It's an awful thing to be rejected, ignored, disregarded. Regardless Mm -hmm. of the reason, it's hurtful. It hurts. Now, I want to be very careful in saying that I believe that the Bible teaches that homosexuality is a sin. But I don't think it's reflective of the love of Christ to avoid a person or reject someone because of their sin, whatever that sin is. Well, in fact, while they're mired in their sin— Jesus Christ gave his life, Mm -hmm. died on the cross, loved them enough to die for all of us, even though we're in our sins. Now, if that isn't proof enough, Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Homosexuality, it's not going away. In fact, quite to the contrary, it's becoming more and more a part of our culture every day. And I think it's important that believers learn how to show compassion, how to deal with the issue. Maybe now more than more than ever. But this is a this show, this program is a poor forum to discuss that. It's a it, we don't have the time to get into that thoroughly and or maybe even fairly uh, to go through all the Bible's teachings on homosexuality. But I am convinced that it does indeed teach it that it is a sin. But I want to make this more of a discussion on dealing with people, sinful people, and not about any sin in particular. People in general, and Christians in particular, in my opinion, seem to have an unfair view of homosexuality. I would ask this, why are you less outraged? Why are you less offended by some sins than others? Why does homosexuality cause some to become unglued but lying or cheating cheating doesn't seem to bother him that much. It seems mm-hmm. easier to deal with. And like I say, this is why I don't want to make this about the one sin because, you know, all these sins are sinful. All these sins were enough to put Christ on the cross. Could the fact that lying and cheating be easier for some to deal with be indicative that that perhaps could be their hidden sin? Do you think, or perhaps that it's you know somebody could easily see themselves involved in lying or cheating, but don't picture themselves involved in homosexuality. And then you ask, well, what about gluttony? What about adultery, sex outside of marriage, addiction? All these things that we tend to be able to say, oh, I have a little more compassion, a little understanding, but not so much for homosexuality. Now, perhaps these things don't trip you up. My point is simply this. Regardless of a sin, where is your compassion for the person, Mm -hmm. for people? The church ought to be where people can turn for love, understanding, kindness. And I'm not at all suggesting that believers overlook sin or simply not deal with it. Heck, we do that too much now with sins, you know, alcoholism, sexual immorality. Some want to teach, though, that uh, Christians should have no part with sinful people. And that's absurd. And it's not at all, in fact, what the Bible teaches Within the church at Corinth, there was a man who was involved with his father's wife, and rather than discipline the man, the church actually embraced him, patted themselves on the back for how tolerant they were. First Corinthians chapter five, verse nine through eleven. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, or with the covetous and swindlers, or with idolaters for then you would have to go out of this world. What Paul is saying is if you're going to avoid sinful people, you got to get off planet Earth because you're not going to Mm -hmm. be able to do it. But then he says in verse 11, But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. That's church discipline. That's that's saying, listen, brother in Christ, I love you enough that— Um, look, until you get yourself right, I'm going to disassociate with you some. When you want to help, when you really want to help yourself, come see me and I will help you. But as long as you're going to enjoy your sin, as long as you're going to stay in that sin and choose that sin, well, then you do your thing and, and I'll be right here waiting. The Christian should not isolate himself from the unsaved, but should interact with them in a way that the gospel of Jesus Christ is clearly seen. And hiding from or avoiding a gay teammate is not bad. Now, I get it. The locker room is another matter. That's a difficult subject. That's a tough one to address. Mm -hmm. One person's comfort should not be more important than others. But I would suggest to you this. There's a good chance if you are in a gym locker room now, you go work out or whatever, you're on a sports team, that you may be sharing That facility with a gay person now. You just don't know it. Do you think that that person's going to attack you? I mean, what do you think is going to happen? And and forgive me, I don't mean to make light of it. And, And, you know, but if you're uncomfortable, discuss it openly, openly, discuss it lovingly. If you're avoiding someone that you know is gay, then you've already cleared the first hurdle in that you know the person's gay. So instead of rejecting that person, explain to them that you're not comfortable. And you're not comfortable changing. I wouldn't be comfortable changing in a room with women. I'm not comfortable changing in a room with somebody of, who's attracted to my gender. Mm-hmm. Go to them and explain that to them. Perhaps you, an open-eyed dialogue, maybe that educates you. Maybe that educates them. At minimum, it'll establish that you care. At a minimum, that you view them as a human being, you know, not mm-hmm. just somebody to be rejected. When we come to faith in Jesus, there are many things that we can uh, no longer do. uh, Ephesians chapter 4 goes through some of these, uh, starting verse 17 and 18. So, uh, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluding from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And for, for time's sake, let's skip down to verse 22 and 24. He says that in reference to your former manner of life, that you will lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We're to put away the old things. When we become faith in Christ, we embrace a new person. Know this. I, the Bible teaches homosexuality is a sin, but so is anger. So is lust. So is greed. So is gossip. Things that many believers that have themselves with. In fact, few Christians I know would, would, not, would refuse to associate. Very few people I know who are believers would refuse to associate with somebody because of their lust or their greed or because they're a gossiper or because they're prone to get angry. Mm-hmm. So why would you avoid an association with a homosexual? I tend to think that they try to apply scripture so that it justifies their dark hearts, their sinful hearts. And perhaps the truth is they just don't like homosexuals. Maybe that's the truth. But Jesus Christ loves them and wants them to come to a faith in him. Christians should behave in a manner that facilitates that, not rejecting people. The Barnett group actually discovered that young, many young people think Christians show excessive contempt and unloving attitudes towards gays and lesbians. 91% of young non-Christians and 80% of young churchgoers perceive Christianity as anti-homosexual. That's a big number. This is not the result of living in a manner which facilitates the love of God. Barna also found that younger Christians felt their church failed to guide them with biblical biblical principles in regards to their friendships with gay people. They felt uneducated about how to have a biblical conversation with a homosexual. This resulted in them thinking that they either had to embrace their faith or they had to embrace their gay friends, and faith often lost in such a one-on-one contest. There are three basic principles in dealing with people lost in sin, whether it be pick your sin, whatever it is. Not included in this list of how to deal with somebody is rejection, avoidance, making somebody feel badly about themselves, hurting their feelings. To show someone the love of Christ, believers need to start by treating people who don't know Christ as they would anyone else. Treat them as a human being, whether that person is struggling with lying, cheating, alcohol, sexual immorality, whatever it is. And also, don't make the gospel more difficult than it is. It simply boils down to this, John three sixteen, and what a person decides to do about that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whatever that person struggles, don't treat it as the most detestable, ugliest thing God has ever seen. You know, don't try to seem as like you have it all figured out because you don't deal with the same issue they do, because you do deal with something. And the third thing is this, make it your goal to have a long-term impact. You know, not just win an argument, not just win a debate. When it comes to people and their sin, there's always what, more to what appeals on the surface. There's, it, it's deeper than that. There's history. There's emotions. There's perceptions. There's reactions. There's It's rarely cut and dry. And people can be defensive. They They want to protect themselves from additional hurt. And you may encounter some people that are antagonistic. They're so... A defensive that they will, if you disagree with them in all, they they're going to dislike you. They're going to hate you. They're going to, um, you know, they're not going to invite a dialogue with you. All you can do with that is leave it with God. Jesus instructed his disciples in this way in Matthew ten fourteen: Whoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust off your feet. Move on, man. You know, leave it to God. It's your job to love people. It's your job to point them to the cross. The rest is up to God. He gave them the freedom, just like he gave you or I, to choose for themselves. There's nothing we can do to change that. He did the hard part. Now it's up to them to believe or not. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What do you do with that? There's a consequence for not accepting the gospel. The Bible calls it hell, but God gave us all a choice. And people can accept his plan of salvation, or they can try to do it on their own. And my prayer, which I'm sure is yours, Zach, that people will choose to believe that they cannot, that they can't reconcile the the debt of their sin while still carrying the weight of their sin. They'll need to recognize that they need Jesus. And that's my prayer. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10 says. My prayer is that once you believe that, You will call out to God, admitting your sin to him, that you will repent of those sins, and that you will ask him to forgive you and to save you. Closing out this segment, Romans 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I'm Rick Benson. So glad you're with us. This is the Beyond the Game program.
1: When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070, or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal's secure servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support.
0: Benton Barletta, here on Beyond the Game, and you, I suppose. Let's do shenanigans, Zach. For those of you who are new to the show, Zach Barletta is going to make a few statements, after which we'll either agree with these statements or we're going to call shenanigans on them. So take it away,
1: Zach. How about uh, truth or shenanigans? I just accidentally spilled Pepsi all over myself I'm in gonna the go, studio.
0: I'm going to go with truth on that because I saw it go down.
1: Yeah, so that's a thing that just happened. I got that going for me, <laughs> which is nice. All right, on to the real questions. Steelers running back Le'Veon Bell said this weekend that Pittsburgh would have beaten the New England Patriots in the AFC title game if he hadn't been injured early in the game. Truth or shenanigans, Bell's injury was the difference in that game.
0: Shenanigans. You know, when you say something like that, it just sounds like you're bitter. Come on, give the Patriots credit that they were due. They were clearly the superior team. I mean, I guess, although, what, what is this guy going to say? I suppose he could have tipped his cap to the Patriots, but he goes through the entire season, as I'm you know, rebuking myself as I think about it. It does sound like he's bitter, but then mm. again, the guy goes through the entire season with his teammates, believing they have what it takes to win it all. So I, I guess, it, in a sense, I guess he does believe that, but... I'm going to say shenanigans. It wouldn't make a difference. Um, The score was 36 to 17. It's not like it was all that close where a play here or there would have made the difference. So, no, um, he can believe what he wants, but his injury was not the difference in the game.
1: Yeah, I agree uh, with what you said. Not that his injury was a difference in the game. I call shenanigans on his statement. You know, while I admire the competitor in him that wants to believe this, I lost by 19 points. You know, Le'Veon Bell himself is not going to put up 19 points. And while I would much rather have seen them win that game than the Patriots, uh, they were just outmatched, and sometimes that happens in football. So I say shenanigans. Cowboys owner Jerry Jones says he doesn't believe that Tony Romo would sign with one of the Cowboys' rivals because, quote, we have that kind of relationship. Truth or shenanigans, Romo would spurn a team like the Redskins out of loyalty to Jerry Jones.
0: Why don't you answer this one first? What do you think?
1: I say shenanigans. You go where the money is. You go where you have money and a chance to win. And if that's the Redskins now, I'll add to that, that the Redskins have so far lost two receivers to free agency and really not replaced them as of this recording. So I don't know what there is in Washington that would appeal to Tony Romo. But I think if all situations were equal, he'd go where the money is. And so uh, while it's nice for Jerry Jones to believe that, um, I think Tony Romo as an athlete and a competitor is, I don't think loyalty to his former team is going to keep him from signing anywhere.
0: You know, I I agree with you. I I say shenanigans for the reasons you said it's a business, you know, just like it's a business that the Cowboys went with Prescott this season and Mm -hmm. didn't put Romo back in there. Now, Unless there's some backroom agreement that the Cowboys make with Realmo to uh, to get it to give him his release, and then no, I I just don't see it all. I mean, again, maybe there is that backroom agreement, but Romo signs wherever the money and the opportunity is greatest. So the, you know, you mentioned the Redskins, and it just I'm sitting here thinking about it, losing receivers, hitting Cousins with the franchise tag who which clearly that that always confuses me because you're guaranteed to be among the top paid but yet players are upset about it right And, and i understand where they're coming from but you're guaranteed to be among the top paid in the league but you have to start wondering if kirk cousins is upset with being franchised or the direction that the team is going because what are they doing
1: well they just fired their general manager on thursday so they might not know either
0: what was, there was some story I heard about him in a bar or was making contracts in a bar, and then he was missing. I, I only heard bits missing, and pieces uh, of that. He's
1: been missing from the combine. Nobody had seen him. The Redskins weren't really saying anything. And I don't know if he ever actually showed up, but he was fired on Thursday evening. So <laughs> he, I guess he doesn't have to show up now. That looks like a mess. I don't think if I was Tony Romo I would want to go to the Redskins. But, um
0: Anyway, we digress. Getting back to shenanigans.
1: Number three, the NFL recently announced that it will consider relaxing its anti-celebration policies. Truth or shenanigans, the NFL should get rid of all rules regarding on-field celebrations.
0: I'm going to say shenanigans, and it's probably more the way you worded the statement because you said all rules. And I would not want to see a return of Randy Moss or Terrell Owens and ridiculous use of props. I I'd not want to see distasteful this, this displays just to be edgy. So mm. getting rid of all rules is not what I'd want to see. But, you know, I would relax see, like seeing them relax so guys can have some fun and be a little creative. That, that, that would be fine with me.
2: I think it's fabulous. Every value I've ever held has been questioned, and I'm loving it.
0: <laughs> but taunting is never something that should be allowed in a game where, you know especially a football game where physicality leads to anger leads to frustration where taunting sends a player over the edge and, and people get going with cheap shots so i think there are some place for rules regarding celebrations regarding taunting regarding props but if a guy wants to dance in the end zone and it's entertaining have at it
1: i i agree with you and i say shenanigans to say and i tried to be sneaky by saying all rules in there but you caught me um I, you have to have some rules because otherwise it becomes sort of like a, a lady Gaga scenario where it's how, how are they going to top this next? Is she going to wear a seat, a suit made out of meat? Is she going to show up in Yankee stadium with no pants? Like, it's just how are they going to top this? And it escalates and escalates. And I think you have to keep the ridiculous stuff out, the Sharpie and the sock, the cell phone and the goalpost. But these guys are putting their bodies and their health on the line to entertain us and to make money. And, I think you have to allow them to be able to have some fun here and there. And as long as it's not some crazy pre-planned stunt with props, let them do it. Agreed. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred said recently that baseball will look into shortening commercial breaks to speed up games. Thank goodness. Uh, Where have I heard that mentioned before? Probably right here on this show. (laughs) Truth or shenanigans, this is the best place to cut time from games, and the league will actually do it someday.
0: And I agree with both points. I think that it's, it's clear. That's the clear offending contributor mm-hmm. to the unbearable length of games is the amount of commercials they sneak in. A regular season game starts at 7.05 and can be done by 10 p.m. a lot of times. That's manageable. You can live with a three-hour game. But nationally televised games, these playoff games that start at 8 o'clock and don't finish to after midnight sometimes, they're sneaking in an extra hour of commercials. Well, they're not sneaking it in. I I think the compromise is going to be less commercials to move the game along and maybe more on-screen graphics, maybe company logos on uniforms. I think that's eventually where it's going. But I I do think that that's, that's going to happen.
1: I do agree that it's the best place to cut time for games. We texted about this, uh, I think, probably last week, where we were so excited to have spring training games, and I was watching any game I could get on my television, and I texted you, and I was like, you know, I was so excited to watch this game, and it's going so slowly because there are so many commercials. And I just think part of it is there's so many pitching changes now, and every pitching change, you get a commercial break and stuff. Maybe you only go to commercial for one pitching break an inning. Even if there's three pitchers in an inning, you only go to break for one of them or something. But you've got to do something to keep people engaged. If you're watching five commercials every inning, it's just it's ridiculous. And I can see why people think baseball is so slow and so boring. So that's the place to do it. Whether the league will actually do it as long as it's making them money, I have a hard time seeing them take away from it. Well, you know
0: how I feel. They think baseball's a long, drawn out game, and here i I think I'm spending three hours in the sunshine. Who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, I got a bag of peanuts and and a, and a cola or something. And I'm enjoying myself. I don't care. It can take four hours, five hours. I'm sitting in the sun, and it, but I, I understand the point. Obviously, four or five hours gets a little stretched out, mm-hmm. but in a television broadcast. It blows my mind that you, you don't think anything. You think baseball's a long, drawn-out game, but you don't think anything about football, which shows you a play, then shows you the same play again in slow motion. Mm-hmm. So many instant replays in football, it
1: takes just as long. And football goes to commercial every time the ball is kicked anywhere. A field goal, a kickoff, a punt, you know, they go to a commercial break. They're just as guilty as baseball is. But for some reason, we don't think that way about football. Last but not least, a recent piece in the Hockey News called for several rule changes in the NHL to increase scoring and make the game more exciting for fans. Truth or shenanigans, the NHL needs to make some changes.
0: What do you think, buddy?
1: I'm sure there are probably some. Um, I think maybe a time limit on how long replays can take. Um, And I'm not the first to... That, that's a that good point. What there. game
0: were we watching recently?
1: We, we watched, I think, last week in the studio. We were watching a Rangers game, and they were trying to find a Ranger player offsides right before the Rangers scored what would have been an important goal. And I mean, it what was it? Three, four, maybe five minutes. They it were seemed like it was going on five tablet. minutes. Just and we were talking about how oh, okay, if you've been watching it for three minutes and you can't find an offsides, then it's not offsides. And after literally three to four minutes, they found an angle that showed a barely offside skate blade and they reversed the goal and called it no goal. But we were saying, meanwhile, the players are sitting around for four minutes. The fans are getting antsy. The the TV crew was trying to come up with things to talk about, to fill the time. I think the biggest thing I would change is just if in 60 seconds, you can't find a replay to change the call, then you don't change the call.
0: Yeah. I, I say shenanigans, you know, but then again, I love hockey. I think most hockey fans are satisfied with the game. They enjoy it as it is. But I do understand that if the NHL feels the necessity to increase revenue, and I'm sure they do, that the best way to do that is to bring in new audiences. And then they may need to make some changes to engage the shorter attention spans of younger sports fans. But the reality is that I don't think hockey can ever be as popular as some of the other sports. It's just I don't think it's ever going to be that. So it might be important for them to accept that it is what it is and cater to hockey purists. So market the game as a heritage of sorts to families. You know, we're a hockey family. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I know I've recommended it to you a number of times. The movie Mystery Alaska, the Rangers go up to Alaska and play pond hockey, but uh Russell Crowe's the star of the, of the movie and he, we're a hockey town. You know, and they sort of embrace that. Well, families can do that about hockey. We're a hockey mm-hmm. family. So you're marketing the game to purists. You don't have to change a thing because you're never going to be football. You know, you're never going to reach that popularity at least in my opinion, even if you do cater to shorter attention span, younger fan base. Mm-hmm. So why alienate your true fans in an attempt to reach people that I'm not convinced you're ever going to reach. But
1: I agree with that.
0: Let's take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side of the break with, we'll tell you what it is. We like this week. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. This let's is go. the beyond the game program.
2: Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D two college college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College, where athletics are fundamental to our commitment to educate for character. Our athletic program is strong and getting stronger every year. We offer 17 varsity sports, from lacrosse and basketball to track and field and soccer, and the only Division II athletic program in the area. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu.
0: Oh yeah, (laughs) well chosen. Let's close out the show, Zach, by telling folks what it is that we like this week. The Bible says in Isaiah thirty-five five that the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And I'm not certain this is exactly what it means, or that my exegesis is perfectly accurate. Although, admit it, you know you're impressed that I used the word in proper context. But eleven-year-old Olivia Letich is a Calgary Flames fan who was left with only peripheral vision, having been stolen of most of her sight by a rare form of eye cancer when she was younger. But her lack of sight did not equate to a lack of passion for her flames. She loves her Calgary Flames. However, this past weekend, Olivia got a chance to see, for the first time, her team in action, thanks to a pair of electronic glasses from a company called eSight and a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity from the Flames Olivia not only saw her team for the first time from the stands, who by the way beat my New York Islanders for their seventh straight victory, but the Flames also arranged for Olivia to hang out on the bench, be part of the pregame anthem, and visit players in the locker room after the game. The Calgary Flames and glasses manufactured by a company called Esight, which allowed 11-year-old Olivia Letich to see a hockey game for the very first time, is what I like, you like this that? week. You
1: like- Mine also involves young people interacting with athletes, and it's uh, first of all it's the Arizona Diamondbacks players who played catch with the little kid during batting practice. Oh, in I saw game. that. That saw was that, terrific. The kids out on the grassy hill in the outfield, and the players are just playing catch over the fence with them. And I'm sure, I mean, that kid's whole like year was made. You know, that had to be so much fun. And then uh, just recently this week, the Astros did something similar where. Some Astros pitchers brought a little kid into the bullpen and let him warm up on the bullpen mound like a big leaguer. Like, how awesome does that have to that's be? So, so cool. The Astros and the Diamondbacks having fun with some kids at games was just something I really liked this week. You like that?
0: You like that? That's a show for this week. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us for a bit and hanging out. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson for Zach Barletta. We just want to say thanks again. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week, right here at this same time. Be bold this week and be great, everybody.